Braves, Bulldogs, Falcons, Yellow Jackets, Hawks, Eagles. From the heart of Georgia, it's the Bill Shank Show. Happy Monday and welcome to our broadcast. I'm Bill Shanks here on a beautiful Monday here in the state of Georgia. It is perfect weather. It is springtime. We are three days away from the month of March, which is my favorite time of the year. That's when all the good people were born, first and foremost. Second of all, it's spring training. Third of all, it's spring football. Fourth of all, well, the weather's getting really, really good. So there's that, right? There's a lot of good things about March. We have a lot to talk about here on the program today. Coming up, we have baseball, basketball, and football, as we usually do. And wanted to first talk about the Georgia Sports Hall of Fame and the great event that was held the other day on Saturday at the Hall of Fame Museum with the new inductees this year, which uh, just a, a great group, as there always are, a great group of, of people who are able to go in. And, of course, uh, Brian McCann led the way. What a what a great thrill for Brian McCann and his wife and his mom and dad, Howie, and, well, his dad's name's Howie. His mom's name's Sherry. I did that in the wrong order, didn't we? But we have Brian McCann going in the Hall of Fame. We have called Felton going in the Hall of Fame, which was a great thing, of course. Paul Johnson going into the Hall of Fame, the former head coach at Georgia Southern and Georgia Tech. And we also had Wendy White, who is a great junior tennis player, also on the WTA as well. We had Thomas Davis. Eric Berry, and Sharif Abdul-Rahim. Just an outstanding group. And for those of you who went to the ceremony on Saturday night, we appreciate it very much. And we... Why people call me sometime during the show? It makes me want to throw my phone in the lake. Anyway, uh, it's 3.02. Hello. But anyway, forgive me. I should throw my phone away, but I can't because it's right here. Sometimes it's okay, but sometimes when someone calls me and they know it's 3.02, I'm like, are you really having a mental moment right now? It's 3.02. Get a clue. But anyway, great event at the Hall of Fame, and we appreciate all who came. We appreciate who all uh, donated and who all our sponsors are at the Hall of Fame. I'm on the Hall of Fame Authority, so I can say our. I can use the right pronoun and say our because um, I'm on the I'm on the board for the Hall of Fame, and uh, the Hall of Fame is kind of my mission, my cause because I think it's a great event. I think it's an outstanding thing to have in the city of Macon. Well, I'm from Waycross and have lived in Athens and Brunswick in my day, or St. Simons. I have lived in Macon for twenty seven years now and can say that I'm a Maconite, I believe after a certain amount of time you you uh, are what you've where you've lived right I'm a waker son and a Maconite. but the Hall of Fame is so great for Macon in middle Georgia and it's a state museum but it's in our backyard and as I say all the time it's up to us here in the state of in the in the area middle Georgia area to kind of take care of the Georgia Sports Hall of Fame so I'm very appreciative of everybody who participated and who um, 
just came and, and enjoyed the ceremony. It was a great ceremony. John Smoltz did an outstanding job of of being the MC. He was the second best MC of the weekend, and he was uh, outstanding. He really did a great job. So if you have someone you want to nominate, it's very simple. All you have to do is go to georgiasportshalloffame.com, and you will find on the website the area to nominate someone for the Georgia Sports Hall of Fame. We hope you will do that, and we hope you will um, enjoy the the process. And and you know it won't be immediate if you have someone that you want to have um, nominated. It may take a while to get them in if they're worthy, but you have to just go go through the process. So that's what we ask you to do. So anyway, it was a great event and we're always thrilled with the Hall of Fame and everything that goes along with it. The Fan Fest was great. We appreciate all the fans who went to the Fan Fest and lined up for autographs. John Smoltz was able to make it, which was great. And it was just a, a great event. It's a it's a great a, event to be a part of uh, that I am and and uh, just happy that Macon is here. And we invite those of you to think about coming in the future for sure. On Friday's show... Paul Johnson was our guest, of course, one of the inductees going into the Hall of Fame, and we could have never imagined that the interview with Paul Johnson would have turned the way it did. Um, it's not like I had a feeling going in of, well, you know, let's get him to talk about Jeff Collins and we're going to become viral all over the place. I really hadn't thought about that. I wish I had, or I could take credit for it. But I um, asked Paul Johnson, obviously, and I tried to be very respectful to not lead him down a road that he didn't want to go because I don't, I didn't talk to Paul Johnson before the interview, uh, really, except for hello. And, you know, I don't know Paul Johnson very well. I've interviewed him in the past when he's come to Macon as a coach at Georgia, Georgia Tech. But he opened up about his feelings of Jeff Collins and his successor there at Georgia tech and the football program, who of course did not do well at all and was fired after a couple of years. And Paul Johnson was, as he has been in the past when he was the football coach, there, honest and forthright and not holding back. And, you know, I, I guess I, it was just a little unexpected and he wasn't wrong with anything that he said. He was, he was a hundred percent right. By all means, he was 100% right. And, um, well, he made some headlines. People who were listening to the show went to one of the Georgia Tech message boards and immediately said that Paul Johnson had slammed Jeff Collins and that it was noteworthy and all that. And then it kind of spread like wildfire, like it does on social media and with me retweeting the link for the segment, which we do almost every segment and every interview we have. And also, um, you know, just putting it on the social media platforms we have with Twitter and, 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 and Facebook. And then more people started to listen to it and pay attention to it. And we even had some thoughts uh, or rather some, some, uh, some folks that let us know, on Sunday, that there were some Georgia Tech Facebook, rather, I'm sorry, YouTube pages that were doing analysis on the whole interview with what Paul Johnson had to say. And what Paul Johnson had to say, I don't think 
surprised us really. It, it was surprising that he would obviously admit some of the thoughts that he had about his successor. I, I wouldn't have expected Paul Johnson to like Jeff Collins. Jeff Collins did say a lot of things after he took over as the head coach that were inappropriate. And as Paul Johnson said on Friday, when he took over for Chan Gailey, when he took over for some of the other places, even if it was a situation where the previous coach had not done a very good job, he, he didn't badmouth them. He didn't do anything. And, Georgia Tech was in pretty good shape when Jeff Collins took over. I don't think it was in great shape, but Paul Johnson said that four of the five offensive linemen were returning, and obviously um, there was some talent on the team, but Jeff Collins kind of tore that talent down. And he also said, and I don't, I don't think I agree with this, Paul Johnson said when I asked him you know, if he expected for there to be a downturn, considering the fact that it was likely someone coming in was going to change what he did offensively. And he, he said, not really. And then he went into how it wasn't a big deal for him to adjust the offense to what he wanted to do when he would come into a program. I do think, and I do disagree with him and believe that the, the process of going from a, a triple option offense to a, a, a more, pro-style normal offense, if you want to say, is a little bit more challenging. Now, I, I think that Paul Johnson was not going to give any credit to anybody, even if it was a lower-level compliment to say, well, yeah, that may have taken some time. And Jeff Collins, of course, did not do himself any favors by bad-mouthing the players on the team who had been recruited by Paul Johnson and even Brent Key making some comments about um, – the offense is just inappropriate. And as I said on Friday to Paul Johnson on the air, I said, my big thing was they went from you, hard-nosed, hardcore football coach, which I think we all can agree Paul Johnson was, to P.T. Barnum, to a clown show, to let's go to the Waffle House, let's push the 404, let's do push-ups on the sideline before the game. And at the same time, doing all that stuff that represented he was a clown show himself personally, also bad-mouthing the previous coach who had, had success. Now, I know that Paul Johnson had success at Georgia Tech. He, I think, made a misstatement when he said, you know, the last time they had success was in the 1950s. Well, they did win a national championship in 1990, so that was a mistake. And, I, you know, I think his point was, you know, we, we did pretty well. And he did. There's no question about it. But I, I think, and I said this on Friday, not to him, but I, I, I said this, and I think it was it's a very fair statement. After 11 years, if you feel like you've kind of hit your plateau and you're not going to do what you had done in the past, like go to the orange bowl or do anything of that nature, you probably need to make a coaching change. There's only so long of a shelf life with these coaches that after 11 years, you kind of feel like, well, what are we going to do here? What's going to be the next four years, three years, two years? What, what's going to be the situation here? How are we going to get better? There's never a, a, a problem with a program trying to get better. Kirby Smart wanted to get better and do better than Mark Richt, who was a consistent 10-win team, but it was not good enough. And Kirby Smart has reached that level with two national championships and better seasons than Mark Richt ever could have thought of. 
so, and hey, if Kirby Smart leaves tomorrow to go coach an NFL team for $50 million a year, I'm going to pray to God someone can do better than Kirby Smart. I don't know if it can happen, but that's what you do. You hope that the next coach can do better. Jeff Collins was just a bad hire. It was just an absolute disastrous hire, and Todd Stansbury obviously lost his job because of it. But you can't go from one end of the spectrum to the other. You you can't go from Pollyanna to you know Chuck Knoll. You can't go from Dan Quinn to um, a crazy, out-of-control, hard-nosed guy. I mean, there's got to be some balance in the temperament of the coach because if you go from one extreme to the other, you're going to have problems. And Collins just forced himself so bad on things. I I was listening to that. Uh, someone sent me the link of a of a face of a excuse me a YouTube video where a, a, a young man who has a, a a show on YouTube about Georgia Tech. I think it's called Rec Talk. I believe he was very good, and he and he you know talked a lot about the about the interview with Paul Johnson that I had on on Friday. But he he talked about the insecurities of Jeff Collins and how. He had heard the story of when Georgia Tech went to Florida State, uh, first or second year of, I think it was the first year of Jeff Collins' reign. The hotel uh, that Georgia Tech stayed at placed a picture in an elevator or somewhere near where the players and the coaches would see it of the tremendous win that Georgia Tech had over Florida State in Atlanta, like in 20, what was it, 15, where they blocked a field goal and Georgia Tech ran it all the way back and won it in the last second um, with the clock ticking off at zero. I was there. Uh, it was a tremendous victory, tremendous game. It was an awesome game. But anyway, uh, the hotel that was hosting Georgia Tech had a picture of that last play. And someone with Georgia Tech told the hotel to take it down because Jeff Collins wouldn't want to see that. But that's ridiculous. And if that's the case of how crazy Jeff Collins was, I think we kind of are totally surprised, to be honest with you. Um, so, you know, it's 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 interesting that the reaction of of the interview because I think Paul Johnson was very honest. He he has no respect for Jeff Collins. I wouldn't either if I was Paul Johnson. Um, I think that. It was totally inappropriate for Jeff Collins to say some of the things he said and imply some of the things he implied and insinuate and and mock what had been done before. You may not like that offense, but you can't deny there was success. There was the best running game in the country for a decade under Paul Johnson with Georgia Tech, so they were doing something right. Um, there's no question Paul Johnson has an ego, and he always has. He's always felt very confident about what he does as a coach. He should. If you're not a coach with an ego, you probably have doubts to where you, you're not going to be successful. And Paul Johnson has always been someone that was unapologetic about the kind of offense that he ran at Georgia Tech and, and Georgia Southern and Navy and Hawaii and every, everywhere he was. And that's fine. I don't think there's any question about that. Is it my favorite offense? Would I want my team to do it? No. Doesn't mean it can't work for others and can't work for a certain number of people. But just want me. But 
that that's not that big of a deal, right? I mean, it's not like, oh gosh, I hate Paul Johnson. I didn't think that Paul Johnson was ever going to do more than what he had done before, and that Paul Johnson couldn't win a national championship with that offense, and that if they were going to be more of a consistent 10-11 win team, they were probably going to have to have something better and something different, mainly because they would be able to attract a more normal quarterback that could throw the ball down the field a little bit. So um, that's no disrespect to Paul Johnson. That's just a priority of what I feel like I would want to watch in, on my football team, and Georgia Tech's not my football team. But I, I don't think it was fair at all for Jeff Collins to be a schmuck. That was ridiculous, to be honest with you. Who the hell is he and what had he done? And for the coaches in the conference to have this, you know, laugh-out-loud mentality when they were playing Jeff Collins and watching Jeff Collins, I think tells you everything you need to know about what everybody thought about him. And it became obvious after the first year, and I think particularly after the second year, this wasn't going to work. This guy is a it's just a joke. And look, some coaches, and, and he may be a tremendous coach for the defense, but I didn't see anything that made me feel like he could be a head coach. I am a very hard grader on what I think can be termed as a successful head coach. Uh, I'm not of the opinion that all coaches can be head coaches. I think that we find out repeatedly that a lot of times – Coaches show more often than not that they're better coaches and coordinators or position coaches and can't be head coaches. So I, I don't think Jeff Collins should be a head coach again in college football. I think he's going to be the defensive coordinator for Mac Brown in North Carolina, and he'll probably do a fine job. But hopefully he's learned a few things and is humbled by his lack of success and failure at Georgia Tech. And I, I have no problems with Paul Johnson speaking out and saying what he did. I think he had the right to do that. I don't blame him. I would have been frustrated, too. I think what Georgia Tech fans, and I would love to hear the response from Georgia Tech fans later on in the show, I think what Georgia Tech fans have got to think about are the things that Paul Johnson said in his interview about how the administration was not always behind him. And, you know, maybe that should have caused Paul Johnson to have a longer leash and to go a little bit longer. I think he got out when it was right for him. But still, um, some of the criticism that may have been thrown at Paul Johnson's way may not have been very fair because of the fact that this institution has not always been all on board with football. If you only let one transfer come in in 11 years, you, you don't give a damn about football. And as I said last week, toward the end of the week, when we were talking about college football in general, you got to figure out if you're in the football business or not. It's very easy. You, are, are you in the football business or not? Georgia Tech can be all strict about their academics, and that's fine. I respect that. It's not going to win you a whole lot of football games if you can have a little flexibility when it comes to that. And Georgia Tech fans may not want that flexibility. They may want to say, hey, if our guys who wear our colors on our with our uniforms on Saturday cannot cut it Monday through Friday in the classroom, we don't want them. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But don't expect to be an upper-tier team in your conference 
and your conference is getting ready to circle the drain and be one of the worst in football because of the exodus of Florida State and the others who will follow. And chances are SEC or Big Ten will not want you. Maybe Big Ten will because of Atlanta, but I doubt it. They know it's a UGA territory, but it was troubling that the administration let that crap go on from Jeff Collins. It was troubling that I don't think Paul Johnson felt like he had the back of the administration for his 11 years, 100% like he needed to. And again, it's simple. Are you in the football business or not? And that means are you going to spend the money? Are you going to have the collective? Are you going to have the NIL available to get the talent and develop the talent and hopefully win with the talent or not? And if you don't, and if you're not, then okay, hey, you're going to do what you can to have a successful season, even with mediocre talent. And you better have a really good coach if you're going to do that. So um, it was eye-opening of what Paul Johnson had to say, say on Friday. I, again, I didn't expect it to go viral and have many people listening. I think it's interesting even for UGA fans because Georgia Tech is in the state and it is a rival and it is something that – that. Um, you know, it's something that I think we pay attention to. And uh, I think it's a shame that Georgia Tech can't be a bigger rival for Georgia. I don't want Georgia Tech to ever win. I'm not going to lie about that. I don't. I want them to lose every damn game. But I think it's awful, truly awful, that with the talent in this state, there cannot be a better, better game every November between those two teams. It's a shame. And even with the area that Georgia's in, um, what what Jeff Collins took that team down to was unfathomable and inexcusable. And, he, you know, he's just an awful coach. And I think most Georgia Tech fans are happy that Paul Johnson said what he said. I think they believe probably that it was time for him to say it. They weren't surprised, but it was still, there were some things about that, especially the administration part, they were like, hmm, really? And... That's a shame. I hope Paul Johnson is honored every time he comes back to Georgia Tech. And look, I, I broke this last night on Twitter. I don't want to lose sight of the fact the most important story of the weekend is not the fact that Paul Johnson slammed Jeff Collins. It's the fact that Paul Johnson went into the Georgia Sports Hall of Fame. He's a Georgia Sports Hall of Famer, and he deserves it, and I'm glad he's there. Let's take a break, come back. We'll talk a little Hawks basketball, also basketball over the weekend with the Bulldogs and the Yellow Jackets. Then baseball, the Braves are done down in Florida. We'll tell you how Max Freed and Reynaldo Lopez did in their 2024 spring training debuts. Thank you very much for joining us here on this Monday. I'm Bill Shanks, and you're listening to The Bill Shanks Show. All right, welcome back to our program. The Braves are done for the day. They have lost... 2-1 to one to the Baltimore Orioles, who are 3-0 on the spring. Braves are 1-2. Here's what happened today. Max Freed got the start for Atlanta. Pitched two very good innings. No hits, no runs, one walk, two strikeouts. Reynaldo Lopez came in and pitched the next two innings. He gave up a solo home run to Westberg. No idea who that is. That was it. No walks, no strikeouts. That was it. The only thing that happened was that solo home run. 
Very good inning from A.J. Minter. Gave up a hit, no walks, two strikeouts. Tyler Matzik came out, had his first appearance of the spring. One hit, one inning, one walk, no runs. Dylan Lee, and they had a story on Dylan Lee earlier on AJC.com about how Dylan Lee was feeling really good and healthy. He gave up a solo home run himself. That was to Stowers for the Orioles. Two hits, one run, no walks, one strikeout. Then J.J. Necro came in, and so great that J.J. Necro's in there. J.J. is the nephew of Phil Necro and the son of Joe Necro. He's a fine young man. J.J., an inning and a third, no hits, no runs, and two strikeouts. And that was it. The Braves got a home run from Forrest Wall in the eighth inning. That was their only run of the day. So we had three solo home runs in this game, and that was it. Three solo home runs. Pretty cool. And that was at Cool Today Park. The Braves are 2-1 and one on the season. They lost to Boston on Sunday, 5-4 to four at Northport. Bryce Elder did not pitch well. He allowed two runs on four hits in an inning and a third. Remember now that he had a rough start to his spring last year and was sent down in mid-March before making the All-Star game in July, so you can't really worry too much about that. Darius Vines had two scoreless innings and got the attention of Brian Snicker, who had very promising things to say about Vines after the game. Austin Riley hit a home run for Atlanta. On Saturday, the Braves beat Tampa Bay and Port Charlotte 6-5, and the first pitch of spring training was a home run by Michael Harris. Can't beat that. We said the other day after the Dodgers scored eight runs in their first game of the spring against the Padres, the Braves needed to do something that was kind of impressive, and they did. They hit a home run by Michael Harris on the first pitch of the game and of the year. Spencer Strider pitched two scoreless innings, allowed one hit, walked one, struck out four. So he was in good form for the first game of the year. Tomorrow it'll be the Braves at Braden to take on the Pirates, and Chris Sale will make his debut for Atlanta. So we're looking forward to that, see how Chris Sale does in his first appearance in an Atlanta Braves uniform. So, three games, and of course, it's early. Uh, not even March yet. It's February 26th, so we got to keep that in mind, of course. But the Braves uh, are, are throwing those kids out there for the fifth starter's job. And you've had Elder struggle. Lopez give up a solo home run in two innings. So, you know, it's going to probably be all the way down to the wire before... That's all over with. I don't think they're going to make a decision on who the hell. They may not make it until they start the year. You never know. Especially the days off early in the year, it may, may take a while. So I don't think you can read anything into Bryce Elder not doing well, although you don't want Bryce to continue to struggle or he's going to be in AAA like he was last spring. Heck, he was at sit down at AAA before I even got to Florida. I'm like, daggum. That's kind of crazy, but he didn't do well. And he needs to do well this spring. Bryce Elder needs to do well. He needs to to go out there and pitch his butt off, and hopefully he will the next time out. Darius Vines, I mentioned him, uh, a very interesting kid. And, you know, we talk about the fact that the pitching staff now is not just 13 people in Atlanta, but you also have to think about the people who are in 
Gwinnett, who are going to be on the yo-yo kind of back and forth from Atlanta when they need them. I think Darius Vinson is going to be it. Uh, you may remember late last year when he came up in September, Rick Kranitz was very, very complimentary of that young man, and, and he's a fine young man. I mean, we, we interviewed him last year in Jacksonville when Skip Sane and I went down there to do some interviews at the at the uh, Jacksonville ballpark with the Gwinnett players. And Darius Vines had had a little bit of a problem early on last year, an injury problem that he cleared up, and he was pitching well enough to get a call up to the to the big leagues, and he did well. And so for him to have two scoreless innings at work yesterday is a good sign because, again, the Braves are going to need those players that are kind of the – if you want to call them the quad A players, you can, but there's no question that they're the type of players that if you put them in the big leagues, you're not going to feel bad about it. And if you have to keep them down there because you don't have room for them, well, you'll do that. And then you'll bring them up when you need them. So I'm happy that Darius Vines did what he needed to do today. And as far as Max, it's great, great work for Max and Spencer to both have very good appearances in their first game. They'll probably go three innings the next time. I think Max only had 15 pitches, if I remember correctly. So that wasn't a whole heck of a lot of pitches for his six outs that he got, including one walk. And, you know, Lopez gave up the home run, but it's early. We can't worry about that. We just got to let him go out there and battle it out and see what they do for the rest of spring. No question about that. So can't wait. I can't wait to watch this fifth starter's job unfold and may the best man win. And I think they're going to have a great rotation. But, man, I cannot wait to see. Cannot wait to see Chris Sale in that Atlanta uniform tomorrow for the first appearance for Sale with Atlanta. That should be really fun. Georgia baseball swept Northern Kentucky over the weekend, outscoring them 34-22. to The Dogs are now 7-0 on the season. They will host Presbyterian on Tuesday. Do you hear that, Jeff Bennett? Presbyterian on Tuesday at 3 at Foley Field. And then they'll host Michigan State on Wednesday at 6 o'clock at Foley Field. Then the Dogs will have that weekend series with the Yellow Jackets. First game will be at Atlanta at Georgia Tech. Second game will be at Foley Field on Saturday. And the third game will be at Cool Ray Field with Gwinnett coming up on Sunday. Georgia Tech took two or three from Cornell over the weekend. They're now 6-1 and one on the season in baseball. Cornell won 11-4 on Sunday. That was the fewest number of runs the Yellow Jackets have scored in a game this year. So we've seen a lot of runs from both Georgia and Georgia Tech. The Yellow Jackets will host Georgia State on Tuesday at 4 o'clock. Georgia Southern lost 2-3 at Mississippi State over the weekend. They're now 2-5 and five on the year. They will be at Jacksonville to take on the Dolphins on Wednesday at 6 o'clock. And Mercer, Craig Gibson, saw him on Saturday night at the Georgia Sports Hall of Fame event. Always great to see Craig. He's... I think the best coach over there at Mercer right now. The Bears are 6-1. and one. They swept Monmouth over the weekend when they're six in a row. The Bears will now host Florida A&M on Tuesday and Wednesday, a two-game series at 6 o'clock both nights. Then they'll host Northeastern for three games. So there you go. All right, we'll take a break, come back. We've got a little basketball talk for you, including some Hawks talk. We'll also talk about the new coaches at UGA. Kirby has made his decision on who to – Replace Brian McClendon and Del McGee with, and we'll talk about that and more on this Monday right after this.
All right, welcome back to our show here on this Monday. We appreciate it very much. The Hawks won last night, 109-92. to The Atlanta Hawks actually kept someone under 100 points. And I have been meaning to look this up all day, and I have forgotten to do it all day. But I want to see when's the last time the Hawks kept someone to under 100 points and won the game. Let me let me look through this one time. I, I don't know if we're going to find that. <laughs> I think this is a few and far between. It might be, okay, they won against San Antonio on January the 15th, 109-99. That's <laughs> uh, as close as you can get. Yeah, that was the best defensive performance of the year for the Hawks. 109-92, and guess who didn't play? Trey Young. Trey Young has a problem with his left pinky. He tore his radial collateral ligament in his left pinky finger. He's going to have surgery tomorrow in New York and be reevaluated in four weeks. So Trey Young was out, and DeAndre Hunter, excuse me, DeJounte Murray had a great game for Atlanta as the point guard, 25 points, 11 assists, and nine rebounds. He was very close to a triple-double. Jalen Johnson had 21 points, 10 rebounds. Hunter, 18 points, 7 rebounds. So the Hawks are now 25-32. and 32. They had a real rough game against Toronto on Friday that just was not a good very not a good performance and and uh, then they turn around without Mr. Young and they win against a very improved Orlando team that did not shoot well at all last night. Hawks will now host Utah and John Collins tomorrow night. The Jazz is it Jazz is or Jazz are? Utah is 27 and 31 on the season. The game will start at 7:30 and then Thursday and Saturday, the Hawks will be at Brooklyn. They got a two-game road trip in New York. Please be careful while walking around New York, Hawks players. Mm. But um, I think the the injury to Trey Young brings something up that's kind of interesting to me. And that is, what if the Hawks do better with DeJounte Murray than Trey Young? It's kind of a fair question to ask, don't you think? And yesterday, if it yesterday was any performance that we could hang our hat on, well, it kind of makes you wonder. Yesterday, the Hawks played well, and they had some defense, and they seemed to play really hard. Now, I'm not saying they don't play hard when Trey's in there, but it is it just a coincidence that they had their best defensive performance of the year with Trey Young not playing? It's going to be something you're going to wonder about, right? You are. Now, I think DeJounte Murray is a much better player than what he's shown us in his year and a half in Atlanta. This guy was a really, really good player for San Antonio, and he's come here and he's not been that, I guess, worthy of what the Hawks gave up for him, which was three first-round picks. But I wonder this. Will the Hawks play better to the point that Landry Fields, the general manager, and Kyle Korver, the assistant general manager, two first-time front office executives, and Nick Ressler, the son of Tony Ressler, the owner of the Hawks, who evidently for some reason has more 
input than really necessary. Will they come to the conclusion that this Hawks team is better with DeJounte Murray leading the offense compared to Trey Young? Now, I know that my friend Jason Walker, we may get Jason on Tuesday to be on the show. He will say, Bill, they're they're not going to have a chance in the world of winning a championship if they don't have a star player like Trey Young. And, of course, my retort to that would be, what are they winning now? They have lost the fan base. They are under 500 since they lost the series to the Bucs two and a half years ago, almost three. There's nothing special about this team as constructed right now at all. None. And we heard after the trade deadline was over that the Hawks had had a conversation with San Antonio in particular about Trey Young. Now, here's the interesting thing about San Antonio. No, they're not going to give you uh, the big guy who was the number one pick last year who has the name. They're not going to give you Wimbanyana. Victor Wimbanyana. That ain't going to happen. This guy's a rookie. He's averaging 20.7 points per game, 10.1 rebounds per game. He's going to be a star. But here's the interesting thing about San Antonio that kind of has me interested, especially if they were to revisit talks again with the Hawks in the offseason. The Spurs have a their own first-round pick, and then they have another first-round pick, and that is – Right now, and I can't see on the NBA draft.net where, where that's from. It doesn't really matter. They have a second potential top 10 pick in this coming draft. What if the Hawks traded Trey Young to San Antonio for those two first round picks that they have this year and Devin Vassell, the shooting guard who is averaging 19.1 points per game? Or Kelvin Johnson, who's averaging 15.8 points per game as a, as a small forward. What if that were to happen? Now, I've read that this year's NBA draft is not a great draft. Hell, I don't even know if there was the last time we've had a great NBA draft. But I do kind of think that if the Hawks are going to trade Trey Young, a situation like that where they had two top 10 picks in the same draft, would be pretty cool. Now, they'd have to, of course, with their own pick, would be third, a third top 10 pick, perhaps. Lottery dependent, of course. But what if that were to happen? What if you then kept DeJounte Murray, Onyeka Okongwu as the center, Jalen Johnson as the power forward. You could still keep DeAndre Hunter if you wanted to. You got to get rid of Clint Capella. Probably got to get rid of bogey. But what if you had that type of of series of player moves? Would the Hawks be better? Because the problem I have with the Hawks right now is they're not any good. They are still seven games under 500. And I know some people are going to say, don't you even think about trading Trey Young? Well, they're not winning with Trey Young. They're not winning with Trey Young. This is not a winning franchise with a franchise player. Is that his fault? I don't want to blame him for this not being a winning team. Believe me, I'm not out to say this is all Trey Young's fault and he needs to go because of that. I'm past that point. I don't think that's fair. I do think it's fair to say 
we may have come to a fork in the road where the, the Hawks have to decide, do we win with him or no, 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 no. Let me back up. Can we win with him, meaning Trey Young, or can we even win without him? If they traded Trey Young and two of those three top 10 draft picks became really, really good, I mean, really, really good, they'd be young, but really, really good. And if that's the kind of franchise this, the, the wrestlers are going to have, because here's the deal, they're not going to change. Jason Walker and others have complained about the lack of funds for some of the talent for for the Hawks. They're, 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 they're not going to change. So that's that's kind of a problem. So it's something to keep an eye on. Hawks will play again tomorrow night against Utah, and we'll, we'll have that game for you on the Superstations. Georgia basketball lost big to Auburn, 97-76. to 76. It was embarrassing. The Dogs are now 15-12. Five and I in the SEC. They'll take on LSU and Baton Rouge on Tuesday at seven. And the LSU Tigers are 14 and 13. Then the Dogs will host Texas AM on Saturday at seven o'clock. Georgia Tech basketball got a win on Saturday over Miami to improve to 12 and 16 on the season. They will now take on FSU on Saturday at 12 o'clock in Atlanta. And also, of course, the word that Kirby Smart has picked the new head coaches. James Coley is coming back to Athens. He was the offensive coordinator until a couple of years ago, and then he went to Texas A&M with his boy Jimbo, was headed to South Carolina, was at South Carolina as the wide receivers coach this year, and instead he's leaving Columbia to come back to Athens. Now, this guy has a bad reputation because of the fact he was not a great offensive coordinator. Okay, he's not the offensive coordinator now. Kirby Smart, by bringing James Coley back, has faith in him as a, as a coach, but also believes that he is a tremendous recruiter. No question about it. We said last week when all this happened, first with Brian McClendon and then Medell McGee, look here. These these two pieces of the puzzle are probably going to be filled by recruiters, and they have been. James Coley is an excellent recruiter. I'm not saying he's not a good coach. I don't think he was a very good coordinator for Georgia, but I don't I don't I don't think he's a problem as a as a position coach, and I don't think he'll be a problem as a as a uh, as a recru- recruiter. Outstanding contacts in the southern. Florida area, Miami area. He brought in James Cook and Kenny Mack, and he's brought in a lot of fine players for Georgia through the years and for Kirby Smart, so they brought him back. Then Josh Crawford, running back coach. That's what he's going to do for Georgia. He was the wide receivers coach for Georgia Tech. Now, he has never been a running back coach in college, had been the wide receiver coach at Western Kentucky for two seasons before he was brought into Georgia Tech, and before that he was a high school assistant coach all over the state of Georgia. He played at Morehouse College in Atlanta. He got a master's degree at UGA, and he is known as a great guy and a great recruiter. The reports I've read about him are very positive in what is going on with this hire. People may say, well, why are they hiring the Georgia Tech wide receivers coach to coach running backs at UGA? Again, this is a recruiting hire. 
There's no doubt in my mind about that. This is a recruiting hire. They they wanted Coley and Crawford to help with that recruiting, and I think they're going to do a great job. I don't really care about the position coaches. It doesn't really bother me per se about what they do and what their what their individual team things are. If you're a recruiter, just go recruit. And I, I think that's I think that's what's going to happen, to be honest with you. So I'm excited about James Coley coming back, and I'm in the minority. Not many people like the fact that James Coley's coming back as a coach on Kirby's staff. And I, I if he's a good recruiter, which I think he is, there's no doubt, then why should we care? Um this guy is not going to be the offensive coordinator again. We didn't like him. We, the fan base, did not like him as an offensive coordinator. He's not coming back to to Georgia to be the offensive coordinator. So I think we have to kind of keep that in mind. He's coming back to be a position coach and to be head honcho when it comes to recruiting, particularly in the southern Florida area. All right, a couple of NFL notes now. And we're getting the reports to start about the combine. Who's going to throw at the combine? Today it was learned that J.J. McCarthy, Bo Nix, and Michael Penix will all throw at the combine in Indianapolis. And Jaden Daniels will not. He will not throw at the combine. He's going to throw at the LSU Pro Day instead. And there you go. Now, J-Rad has sent me something. Uh, that uh, Peter King, who actually announced his retirement today, this is what uh, Atlanta Bird Game has retweeted when it comes to the situation with the Falcons and the quarterback situation. Longtime NFL insider Peter King writes in his final column before retirement that the Atlanta Falcons will trade up to the number two spot in the NFL draft and take Jaden Daniels or Drake May. He also says he sees the Chicago Bears keeping Justin Fields and trading the number one overall pick to the Washington Commanders, who will then draft Caleb Williams. King says he sees the Falcons trading away their eighth overall pick this year, Atlanta's second-round pick in 2024, and also the Falcons' first and second-round picks in 2025. (laughs) Peter King has correctly predicted the Atlanta Falcons' last three first-round selections in the NFL draft, and is very respected in NFL circles. He said this is how he sees the wind blowing. And this is also here. Um, The Bears could keep Justin Fields and should and trade the first pick down once or twice and build the kind of supporting cast that the team needs to contend. Suppose GM Ryan Poles traded the top pick down one spot to Washington, which would take Caleb Williams and got the second pick, a second-round pick and 2025 first-round pick in return. Then suppose Poles traded the second pick to Atlanta at eight and the Falcons picked up one of the other quarterbacks. So there you go. More more speculation about what's going to have the draft. And again, we're two months away, but it's going to be nonstop. It will not stop. And there will be rumor after rumor after rumor about what the Falcons are going to do in the NFL draft. You are listening to The Bill Shanks Show.